So hi everybody, I'm Susie Hope. Um, I actually think it's really apt today that it's Palm Sunday and we're standing looking towards the cross to that great act of love that God showed his enemies. Um, so um, we're talking about the Fools on the Hill at our series and as we're moving on I just wanted to kind of do a quick recap of what we've done so far. So um, if you remember, we're going through Matthew chapter 5, and we've talked about how Christians are to be salt and light. Um, and actually, from that kind of point onwards in chapter 5, um, it kind of goes into more detail about the practicalities of how we are to be salt and light. So Jesus talks about how he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, Andy Taylor talked about how murder isn't just the act of murder but actually it stems from that very attitude that we have towards others and how we deal with our anger um, terry talked about adultery and how we need to take every thought captive and also divorce and how what god's standards are in marriage um, elias talked about oaths and how actually we're called to be people of our word and um, we're also called not to take revenge so with that in mind, let's move forward. So, here's our verse for today. You have heard it said, um, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So before I dive into that, I just wanted to kind of go on a little bit about some, some of the context and background, so we're approaching it in the right way. Um, so... Matthew is actually written towards believers, and this chapter of five in Matthew is, can be read as a discipleship manual for believers. I think that's really important because it's not telling us how to be saved, it's telling us how we are to live post-salvation. Um, so it's really important to remember we are saved by grace, God's unearned goodness through faith and what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. So, I guess a good question here is, is Jesus raising the bar on the law? Is this a higher standard than was what was being asked of the Jews beforehand? So let's, let's do some digging, let's find out. So let's look at Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. Leviticus 19.34 says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Well, let's look back before the Mosaic Law. Let's have a look at Job. Um, so if we look at Job 31, 29 to 30, and bear in mind that Job is, is suffering and his friends are saying, well, maybe you're suffering because you did things wrong. And this is Job's answer to them. If I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that came to him, 
I've not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against their life. Well, what does that tell us then? That tells us that under the Old Testament law, the Jews were asked to love the neighbours as themselves. This included those that they were tempted to get revenge on. So presumably, people had already been mistreating them. This standard applied to foreigners, not just the Jews. And this standard existed before the law of Moses. So what we can tell then is actually that loving your enemies was always God's standard. Jesus isn't raising the bar. He's just reaffirming the law. He's saying it's still applicable. So where did this phrase come from then? You heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Well, actually, this comes from the rabbinic tradition, which was being taught in the synagogues. And uh, if you have a look at it, you can see, kind of spot the difference. You can do a bit of spot the difference. And you can see that they've removed that as yourself after love your neighbour. And they've added hate your enemy. And actually, they added the hate your enemy because, you know, they wanted to stand up for righteousness. They, you know, they wanted to stand up against the enemies of God. Um, They also changed the definition of neighbour, you know, to apply to only those people they approved of. Knox tax collectors because they were taking money away from their fellow Jews and giving it to the oppressors, the Romans. And not sinners, not, not Gentiles who don't even follow God, you know, so they they cut all of that out. And actually what they were doing is they'd watered down God's standard and uh, to a level that they could fulfil it themselves. And you can actually feel quite good, can't you, if you can feel like you can do it yourself, you can be quite proud that you've done it and I'm obeying this rule and it's great. But actually what Jesus is pointing out is it was just the same as the the non-believers. It wasn't actually any different. It sounded good, but it wasn't actually any different. And I had a little think about this. I was having a think, well, isn't it a bit like, you know, imitation brands? Um, My favourite one up here has to be the Michael Soft Bimbos. Thought that was pretty good. But Superman or Ill-Tempered Birds, pretty good. What you've got... (laughs) What you've got here with these brands is obviously they're pretending. They're pretending to be something that they're not. And if you don't really know the brands very well that they're pretending to be, you might be fooled. They look a bit like it. The names are similar. You might be fooled. But when you know the real, genuine article, you know that these are fake and that they're just not the same quality. They're just not really able to compete in the same way. And actually, that's exactly what was going on here with the law. It sounded a bit like the Mosaic law. It sounded good, but it actually wasn't the same, and it's not doing the same. And it, you know, therefore, it wasn't fulfilling its purpose. So I think an important question is to actually look at God and see, well, how does God treat his enemies? What is How does God behave in this? So actually, we can see that God is good to his enemies. Um, Just Matthew uh, 5, verse 45, talks about how actually God sends the sun and the rain to the good and the evil. You know, he is actually providing for them. He's providing harvest for them. He's making sure that, you know, people, whether they're, they're Jews and believers or not, have food and clothing and shelter. Um... While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. 
I think that's a really important one to remember. The greatest love or greatest act of love towards an enemy was done by Jesus on the cross. And actually what's really amazing is as he's dying on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. Um, and actually God embraces the whole world. John 3.16 makes that clear to us. The whole world might not embrace God back, but he embraces them. So we can be enemies with God. He lets us do that. He lets us choose to be that if we want. But he is not enemies with us. And actually what God is asking us is to pay forward his goodness. Um, so if you think about the parable of the unmerciful servant who, owned, who owed a king a massive debt he could never be repay, he begs the king, the king lets him off paying it back. But then he finds a fellow servant who owed him a large sum and he insists that that servant pays him. And the king finds out and he's like, but why couldn't you pass on? You know, I cancelled your debt, why couldn't you cancel his debt? You see, that's what God asks us to do. Bear in mind how much God has, has forgiven us. So we're being asked to pay it forward. So I think a good question is, why do good to those who mistreat us? And I think there's three key reasons here. One, because God actually asks us to. He sets that out in Matthew 5, verse 44. Um, and because he's forgiven us more than we can repay. Again, back to that, that same parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, and then finally, it's evidence that we are God's children. And the way I like to think about it is people might look at me and go, oh, you've got some of your dad's mannerisms, Susie, or, or you're so like your mum in this. Um, and actually, when I was growing up, one of my friends had a foster sister. She wasn't even the same ethnicity as their family, but she smiled in the exact same way as her foster mother. And I thought it was so uncanny. But what was going on there was really, she was showing that she's part of the family. She's got the family traits, and that's exactly it. God is a God who loves his enemies. And actually, if we're going to be children of God, the way we show it is by loving our enemies. It's an indication that we are his children. So again, it's really important to remember that loving our enemies isn't what saves us, but it does show that we are saved. So then I think the question is, well, how can we love those who mistreat us? When I was at school, one of my school friends, um, her dad and her two little brothers were locked in a car and the car was set alight and they were burnt to death. Her brothers were six and ten. It was horrific. And then you sit there and you look at something like that and you say, well, how? How can you love your enemies with something like that, something so terrible? And the truth of the matter is we can't not in our own strength, is completely and utterly impossible. But this is why we pray, because actually we need God's strength. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his help to do what we cannot possibly do ourselves. So God pr actually promises to give us good gifts. If you have a look at Matthew 7, verse 11, and it talks about ask, seek, knock, at the right at the end, it talks about um, loving others as yourself and, and fulfilling the law of the prophets. And what actually God is saying in that passage is that when we ask him to help us love others as ourselves, even, those, even the, when we've been treated absolutely appallingly, that is a prayer that he will say yes to. That is a prayer that he will help us to. He will give us what we need to do it. And um, I just want to talk a bit more about my friends 
Um, so some of you might actually have heard the story because actually it hit international news. But uh, my friend in question was Esther Staines and um, her mum, Gladys, and her dad, Graham, were working in Orissa in India. And um, they were running a leprosy, a home for, for lepers. And um, yeah, it, like I said, what happened was absolutely awful. And um, Esther and Gladys had to look and decide what they were going to do, whether they were going to go back home to Australia, where they were originally from, or whether they should stay. And you know, if they left, they'd have to shut the, the leprosy home. Um, Esther was only 13, and she'd been born in India. She'd grown up in India, and they, they didn't want to leave. And they chose to stay. And actually, I just want to read you what um, Gladys, Esther's mum, said at the funeral. She said, I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry. I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flames of Christ's love. My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and can continue to serve the needy. Now, at the time, I just remember just crying out to God, going, please don't let their lives, you know, and their deaths be wasted. Don't let it be wasted. And um, recently, I, I looked up what had happened. I was like, it's been quite a while. I wonder what the outcome is. And uh, I found this quote. An Indian national leader told, told us about the impact of their response to the murders. He said that the people of India asked, why would a man leave his wealthy country and serve lepers in India for 34 years? Why would his wife and daughter forgive the killers of their family? Why would they choose to stay and serve the poor? Who is this God they believe in? Could it be that all we've been told about Christians have been lies? Could it be that Jesus really is the truth? He stated that many Hindus had come to faith in Christ through their witness. See, wasn't wasted. You know what? I know, I went to school with Esther. She was just an ordinary kid, but... God promises if we ask him that he will help us. He will help us do the impossible, which is love our enemies. And when that happens, amazing things happen. Um, I want to go back. Do you remember I said it all flows out of the salt and light? Well, one of the verses in the salt and light passage says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's exactly what happens when we love our enemies. So, I'm going to move on. We're going to still be thinking about loving our neighbour. We're going to move on and look at chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So here we're kind of looking at 
giving without hypocrisy. So I think the first important thing is to understand what hypocrisy is. And that's a person who pretends to be what he's not or doing something insincerely or with an ulterior motive. And it's a form of lying. What I've got here is an example of greenwashing. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but this is when companies try and pretend that their products are way more environmentally friendly than they actually are. And they might do it just by changing the colour of their packaging. Um, and it's just to kind of encourage people who are wanting to be a bit green to buy their product. But it actually, you know, if they truly, genuinely cared about environmental issues, they'd probably change some fundamental things about their product. And they haven't done that. So, let's have a look. Is this passage saying that we shouldn't give? Actually, no, because God loves a cheerful giver. So if we look at 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then if we have a look, um, God also encourages his people to give really generously. So I've, I've listed a few verses, but there's way more than that. Um, and God himself is generous with his blessings. He, you know... He, Psalms 23 talks about our cup overflowing. Um, James 1.17 talks about all good things come from the Father. You see, and the other important thing to remember is God sees your heart. Um, one of my favourite stories is actually the widow's offering in Luke 21, uh, 1-3. And that's where Jesus goes and sits in the temple and he sits in front of where the offering's been collected and he watches people put in their offering and he sees a lot of rich people put in a large generous sums and then he sees a little widow come along and put in two tiny little copper coins and he says she's given more than anybody here because he knows that she the others gave out of their plenty but she gave all that she had to live on God sees God knows God knows what it's cost you God knows Nothing is missed by God. So I think the other point to point out is God hates hypocrisy. He doesn't hate people, but he hates hypocrisy. So these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachers are, teachings are merely human rules. And that's Jesus talking in Mark chapter 7. But it's actually quoting Isaiah 29. So we know that was a problem in Jesus' day. We know it was a problem in Isaiah's day. And you know what? Still a problem today. Um, and God also rejects offerings due to insincerity. So uh, the prophet Amos uh, in chapter 5 is talking about, even though you bring me offerings, um, burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Um, I think <laughs> the truth of the matter is it can be really hard to not have mixed motives. Um, <laughs> I do like this picture with the, uh, clearly he's trying to impress. Uh, yeah, there's no way you're going to miss that price tag, are you? Uh, <laughs> but um, the truth of the matter is we can give for all kinds of reasons, not just for, just because we care. You know, actually, I think one thing that really goes on quite a lot, especially with companies in the West, is virtual signalling. You know, you give to show that you support the right cause and you, you have the hold the right ideals and the right beliefs. Um, and tokenism is another one because, you know, you're expected to show support for something and so you give your token amount so that, you know, it's all okay. Um, it's also avoiding criticism. Um, I think one example of this is the National Lottery. I'm not saying 
you know, it doesn't matter how you feel about the National Lottery one way or the other, but I just find it really interesting that when anybody tries to criticise the National Lottery, the first thing you get told is, oh, but they give a lot of money to charity. Just find that interesting. Also, to impress, uh, as we've got a little example here, give to impress. Um, there's also giving for own financial gains. I am not saying if, you know, making the most of legal tap breaks is wrong. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is that, you know, you might have another motive to give when actually it benefits you financially to give. So I think the important thing here is it's really about our hearts. Who are you trying to benefit? Yourself or the recipient? Remember, it's, it's coming back to loving your neighbour as yourself. Are you really loving your neighbour or is it more about loving yourself? Um, so in the same way, actually, our motives really matter. Um, so, you know, we're really called to put the recipient's needs first. What do they actually really need? And if you're actually doing that, then actually it might change how you give. Um, uh, I was talking to someone recently who their church was looking at doing a, a collection for refugees. And actually someone pointed out, they said, wait a minute, we've got so many refugees coming here. They need, they need somewhere to stay. The manse is empty. Our manse is empty. We could let a family have that. And actually, it's not because, you know, it's not wrong to not collect and, and whatever. But actually, if you're really thinking about what somebody needs and what you've got and how you might be able to meet those needs, it might change what you do in response. Um, we've already discussed how easy it is for secondary motives to creep in. Um, and I think the problem is that when secondary motives do creep in, I think we end up a bit like Isaiah points out, with our righteous acts being like filthy rags, because they might look good, but actually it's really more about looking after ourselves. And, and this is something we're all weak in. This is something we all struggle with. I certainly really struggle with this. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. This is why we need his help. Um, another reason is, actually, when we do these things, sometimes we're diverting praise away from God. Um, I think in a, there's a good example here, actually happened in our church, where a lady in our church um, was a contractor. She lost her job, and because she was a contractor, you know, you get no notice. Um, she had no family, she had no savings. She'd only worked the first week of the month, so she had three weeks' worth of pay that she wasn't going to get. She didn't know how on earth she was going to make ends meet. Um, and then, you know, she was getting more and more stressed and more and more panicky. And then literally a day or two before her rent was due, an envelope got pushed through the door full of cash, enough to pay her rent. And there was no note, there was no writing on it. She didn't know who it was from. But it made, enabled her to meet that need. And because she couldn't praise anybody else, all the praise went to God. And, you know, again, like, I just want to encourage you that... Um, that God sees and rewards what we do, even if nobody else does. So God knows, and, and God is no one's debtor. Um, God knows if it's cost you a lot to do it as well. Um, and I think the important thing that's really been set out in this passage is it's really about guarding our hearts. It's not saying you, you can only give in secret, but it is saying if you do try and look for ways to give in secret, it makes it harder for these other mixed motives to come in. So in summary, we are called to be salt and light by loving our enemies and giving without hypocrisy. 
And in doing so, we're actually fulfilling the law. We cannot do this in our own strength, and we need the Holy Spirit's help to do it. God promises to help us when we ask, and in doing so, it shows that we are God's children. And I just want to finish with some questions and challenges for us. So my question for you is, is there anyone that you need to forgive? And my challenge, if, if there is somebody you think you need to forgive, is to ask this week, to try and ask God for help, help in forgiving them, and to, to practice trying to pray blessings on them. It's a really hard thing to do, especially if it's something horrific that that person's done to you. But I just really encourage you. Um, the other thing is, I would say, is there anyone who mistreats you, dislikes you, or makes your life hard for you? You know, we might not have all had to face a family member being murdered, but, you know, you probably do come across people who dislike you or make life difficult for you every now and then. And actually, if that's you, if you've got someone you're struggling with at the moment, my challenge for you is to ask God to show you how you can treat them as a friend. And then finally, my last one is, who's in need that you could help? Um, I would just challenge you to have a look around um, and ask God what you can really do to bless the receiver. And is there any way that you can give without drawing attention? If there isn't, fine. But, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to practice. But, yes. So I'm just going to end there and pray really quickly. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that... You love us. You loved us even when we were your enemies. And you changed our lives because of your love for us while we were your enemies. And Father, I just give you every person here, Father, and I just pray that you will help us to reach out to you and ask for your help so we can love our neighbours as ourselves and love our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.